Okay, all right. Praises be to our loving Father Abba, that we are gathered together to study his words. Take note, we are now in the book of Leviticus. We go to the next part, and it's about the priesthood. Last week, we talked about the different offerings, the different sacrifices, so that people can be made worthy through the forgiveness of our sins through these sacrifices. However, to carry out the work of the sacrifices offered to God, one, the, God had to appoint the priesthood. How many here are familiar with the priesthood? Because nowadays, when we think of the word priest, what comes to mind? When you think of the word priest, maybe the Catholic priest, right? We don't normally call our spiritual leaders priests, but when we think of the priesthood today, we associate it with the Catholic Church. However, the Bible does speak about a priesthood. It was established during the days of Moses so that we can be put right with God through sacrifices. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with me, right? I'm not a priest. I don't want to be a priest. So how does this lesson relate to me? Well, it relates to all of us, actually. Why? Let's read first before we jump to Leviticus. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verses 9 but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. It's possible for a while. It was Apostle Peter referring to here as the chosen people. Who is his audience? The church. The church. The church of Yahushua. What does he say? He says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So according to the Holy Bible, is the priesthood relevant to us today? Yes, because according to the Apostle Peter, we who belong to the nation of God in these last days, we are likened to and are called royal priests. Not just the priests, but royal priests priest because we serve the true king who is both king and high priest who could that be let's read hebrews 2 1 11 12 and 17 so now yahushua and the ones he makes holy have the same father that is why yahushua is not ashamed to call them as brothers and sisters for he said to god i will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters I will praise you among your assembled people. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Who is our high priest? Our king, Yahusha. HaMashiach. He is both king and high priest. We, belonging to his kingdom, as his brothers and sisters who know the name of our Father, our one common Father who created all things, we are priests who work together with our high priest in these last days. This is why we need to learn about the priesthood. You see, when God established the priesthood, he consecrated them first. What does that mean, to consecrate? It means to set apart, to prepare for the work of the priesthood. You see, as members of the Church of Yahusha, 
we have been set apart for work that we must do. And so we need to learn the process of how God does that because it reveals to us today God's expectations of what we are to do as the set apart ones or called ones by Yahusha HaMashiach. So let's go to Leviticus. Leviticus 8, 1, 2, 3. How did God prepare the priesthood? Let's read the book of Leviticus 8, 1, 2, 3. Then Yahusha said to Moses, bring Aaron and his sons. Why Aaron? What would be his official function and role? He would be the high priest. His sons would be the priests. Bring Aaron and his sons along with their sacred garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket bread made without yeast, and call the entire community of Israel together at the entrance of the tabernacle. So God was calling for an ordination, a consecration of the priests. This is why the sacrifices have been prepared. The, the bull, right, for the sin offering, the two rams for the burnt offering, the basket bread of bread made without yeast. What kind of offering is that? The grain offering. So there's going to be a fellowship offering as well, a special offering. And what did God tell Moses to do? He said, call the entire community of Israel together. Why? Because the whole community must know, they need to know that these are the ones consecrated by God to do the work as priest and so it's important to god that people know about the work of his priest well how about us as the royal priest of our king yahusha what is also our work as his priest let's read second corinthians 2 14 and 15 but thanks be to god for through what christ has done he has triumphed over us so that now wherever we go he uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the gospel like a sweet perfume. As far as God is concerned, there is a sweet, wholesome fragrance in our lives. It is the fragrance of Christ within us, an aroma to both the saved and the unsaved all around us. What is our responsibility? As priests of Yahusha, we must tell people about Yahusha, our Lord and King. We must do so in two ways. How? By sharing the gospel. Do not hide the fact that you are a follower of Yahushua. Do not hide the gospel. Share it. We have to witness to others. We have to tell others about Yahushua. However, just as important is how we live our life. What kind of life must be seen in us? It is a life that will produce a wholesome fragrance. Because remember, we are representing who? Yahusha. Can you imagine? You're proclaiming Yahusha's name, Yahuwah's name, and then they look at you, they examine your life, and they're shaking their heads. There's a mismatch. Yes, we are blaspheming the name in that case. Now, as priests of Yahusha, we must bring that life of Yahusha with us and share that love so that we can be a wholesome, sweet fragrance to the people around us. How else were the priests consecrated? Leviticus 8, verse 6, And he presented Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. What's the purpose of washing? What's the purpose of washing? To cleanse yourselves, right? This is why you take a bath. You want to wash yourself with water to become 
clean. How about us? Do we also need to be cleansed? What do you think? How are we cleansed today? How are we cleansed? Because the priests were cleansed before they can do the work. Before they can be presenters to God, they had to be cleansed first. How must we also be cleansed as royal priests of Yahusha HaMashiach today? Ephesians 5, 25, 27. And you husbands show the same kind of love to your wives as Christ showed to the church when he died for her. To make her holy and clean, washed, washed by baptism and God's word. So that he could give her to himself as a glorious church without a single spot or wrinkle or any other blemish being holy and without a single fault. How can we be washed today? How can we be cleansed? First, by what? By baptism. This is why part of our duty is to bring people to receive the baptism that they can be washed and cleansed. But is it enough that we simply receive the baptism? Oh, no. The Bible says we also need to be washed by the word of God. This is why we continue to study and to live according to the words of God. Why? What is our purpose? We want the church to become glorious. What does it mean that the church is glorious? They have nice buildings with nice lights. That would be nice to have. But the glory here that is identified with the church, what does it represent? It represents cleansing without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And the only way to achieve that is not by Guinness Book of World Records, but by the Word of God. It is the Word of God that will make us glorious in God's holiness. So we have to continue with the study of the words of God and live according to the word of God. How else besides washing were the priests set apart and consecrated? Leviticus 8, 7 to 9, he put the official tunic on Aaron and tied the sash around his waist. He dressed him in the robe, placed the ephod, the ephod on him, and attached the ephod securely with its decorative sash. Then Moses placed the chest piece on Aaron and put the Urim and the Thummim inside it. He placed the turban on Aaron's head and attached the gold medallion, the badge of holiness, to the front of the turban, just as Yahuwah had commanded him. And so what else set the priests apart from the others? What set them apart? Their costume, right? They had a costume. They had special garments. They had an official tunic, for example, for Aaron, the high priest. He had a robe, an ephod was placed on him. What is an ephod, by the way? It's a special garment that's attached to the shoulder somehow, right? There's a chest piece, and then on the chest piece, there's the urim and the thummim. Do you know what the urim and the thummim is? you know what that is? It's, a mis it's, it's something mysterious. People don't even know what it is. It could be stones. It sticks that are two objects that the high priest will use when he wants to know the will of God. And so, for example, if it was God's will, Yahuwah's will to go into battle, the high priest will use the umim and the thumim, right? Moses didn't have to use this. Why? <laughs> Why did Moses never use the umim and the thumim? Yeah, he spoke directly to the father. But the high priest, after Moses' time, he used the thumim and the Urim. We don't really know how that works. We'll have to find out on Judgment Day. But this is how 
uh, high priest would look like. That's his costume, right? You see the uh, breastplate that has 12 gems that represent the uh, 12 tribes of Israel, the ephod and its girdle. You got the golden crown. You got the white inner robe. You got the bells. You notice that? The, the bells on the pomegranates. You know what the purpose of the bells the bell is for? Because on one day a year, called the Day of Atonement, the high priest gets to go into the most holy place. If he's not properly ready and properly cleansed, he goes there, what happens to him? He dies, right? Well, how will the people know he died if there's no bell ringing? <laughs> you know that? If the bell is ringing, then they know he's still alive, he's moving, right? And so they can kind of know where his approach is at because of the bells, because the people were from a distance. But when the bell started to stop ringing, what does that mean? He died, right? Because he wasn't prepared. So he, this was the attire of the high priest. Well, how about us? Are we supposed to wear something too? What are we supposed to wear? Huh? Sunday's best. Are we going to wear the, our Sunday's best? That's good. But there's something better that we have to wear as priests of Yahusha. What is that? Revelation 3 verse 5. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. What are we to put on? What are we to dress? Something white, dressed in white. What does that mean? Dressed in white. What does white represent? Purity, right? We have to live a new way up. Life. Well, how can we do that? Galatians 3, 26, 27. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ, Yahushua, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ, like putting on new clothes. So how can we, or what must we put on, which can be like putting on our clothes? It is the character of our king, because we're supposed to represent Yahusha HaMashiach by, by living out his character. The way we think, the way we act, the way we speak must reflect our king. Okay, how else? Uh, where the priest consecrated Leviticus 8 10 to 12. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, making them holy. He sprinkled the oil on the altar seven times, anointing it and all its utensils, as well as the wash, uh, wash basin and its stand, making them holy. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, anointing him and making him holy for his work. So there was the cleansing was the putting on of new clothes. Now comes the anointing oil. The priests were anointed so that they can be holy for the work. How about us today? Do we also receive anointing? Do we, beloved sister? Do we receive anointing during our time too? Yeah? What is the anointing? What does that mean? How can we be anointed? And what is the work of one who's anointed? Let's read the book of 1 John 2, 20. To 21 but you have an anointing from the holy one and when the apostle john wrote this he's referring to all of us followers of yahusha he says you have an anointing from the holy one and all of you know the truth i do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth who are those who receive the anointing those who follow us those who follow yahusha and how is this anointing from the Holy One manifested in our life? We know the truth. 
This is why those who have this anointing, do you know what is expected from them? Let's read the book of 1 John. This is really a great revelation for all of us. Because a lot of times, there are people who do not want to study the Bible because they say to themselves, well, I'm not the messenger. I cannot study the Bible, right? How many here have, how many here have that kind of mentality? I cannot read the Bible because you know what? I'm just a follower of Yahusha. Wait a minute. If you're a follower of Yahusha, you've got the anointing. And if you've got the anointing, what can we do? Let's read verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Did you get that? You don't need anyone to teach you. Why? But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, now counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So because of the anointing we get, because we're followers of Yahusha, this anointing enables us to do what? To understand the truth. So that nobody has to teach us. It's good to, this is why all of you who are listening today, if you're a follower and believer of Yahushua HaMashiach, guess what? You can read the Bible and ask for his guidance and the anointing will guide us to understand what we're reading. And what does it mean? What does it mean? This anointing, what is that? Let's read 1 John 2, 27. But you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as He has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. You see, because of our fellowship with Christ, because we're followers of Yahusha, we have the Spirit. And because we have the Spirit, we can now read the Bible. And the Spirit will lead us to the truth. Not a lie, but the truth. If we seek the Spirit and if we seek Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why we embrace the Bible. We study the Bible because we want God. We want Yahuwah and Yahusha to teach us by means of His Spirit. This is why we're learning something always in our Bible history project. We want God to teach us. Now how else um, were the priests set apart or consecrated? Levit Leviticus 8, 14 and 15. And Moses presented the bull... For the sin offering, Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the bull's head. Moses slaughtered it. Moses took some of the blood, and with his finger, he put it on the four horns of the altar to purify it. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Through this process, he made the altar holy by purifying it. What did they do? What else was part of the process of consecration? Well, the priests had to present a bull as a sin offering why why do you think they need a bull for a sin offering because all human beings are what guilty of sin and because they are going to represent yahuwah they're going to be basically mediating the services of the people to god what else had to happen the bull the sin offering was not enough what else leviticus 8 18 21 then moses presented the ram for the burnt offering aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head, verse 21, after washing the internal organs and legs with water, Moses burned the entire ram on the altar as a burnt offering. What's the difference between a burnt offering and a sin offering? The burnt offering in, is to burn the entire animal, right? This is why 
it mentions here, Moses burned the entire ram. And so there was a sin offering followed by a burnt offering. And the purpose of this was for the cleansing of sin, atonement for sin that was committed. So first there was the cleansing by water, right? Then there's the anointing. And then there's the, now we have the atonement, atoning for sins. For us, followers of Yahushua, what kind of offering must we present to God? Or how can we receive forgiveness for our sins? Let's read Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Do we still need to present to God a bull or a ram? No, because Yahushua the Christ, he presented himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And because it was perfect, because it was the Son of God, not a bull, not a goat, but the Son of God himself, that would have eternal ramifications. This is why our sins are covered for now and forever. That's why we don't need to present to God a bull or any sin offering or any kind of other offering. The sacrifice of Yahushua is complete and it is perfect. What else uh, was done to consecrate the priest? Leviticus 8, 22 to 24, then Moses presented the other ram. Remember, there was a bull and there are two rams, right? But Moses presented the other ram, which was the ram of ordination. So there had to be another offering for the ordination. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head and Moses slaughtered it. Then Moses took some of its blood and applied it to the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons and applied some of the blood to the lobes of the right ears, the thumbs of the right hands, and the big toes of the right feet. He then splattered uh, the rest of the blood against all sides of the altar. And so what did they do with the ram? The blood was used and applied it on the right lobe of the, the, the lobe of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot. Why do you think it was the right, not the left? Why is it the right, not the left? I have no idea. <laughs> but think about this. Most people today, are they right-handed or left-handed? Most are, are, are right-handed. It's not a slight against lefties. Raise your hand if you're a lefty. Yeah, we have a lefty right here. Look at that, right? But most people are right-handed. And if you're right-handed and you're going to shoot a basketball with your best effort, what hand are you going to use? You're going to use your right hand, right? Unless you're ambidextrous like LeBron James, in which case you can use both hands, right? But if you want to be at your best, you use your right. And so using the right represents one's best skill, one best effort. The ear, the hand, and the foot. What does the ear represent? What does the ear represent? It represents what? Taking in information, your perceptions, right? Processing what you're perceiving, your thinking. And so it is anoint it is the blood applies, is applied on it. What does the right hand or what does the hand represent? 
represents our labor, our work. What does the foot represent? Represents our walk, our way of life. And so what the Bible's telling us, when you become a priest, guess what? How you think and process things, how you work with your hands and how you labor, how you behave and how you live your life, it has to be different now, right? It has to be in accordance with the one whose blood has been shed. Who's that? Yahushua Mashiach. And so our life has to be like that. And so what does the Bible teach us to do as Yahushans so that we can properly use our best in service of God? Let's read Romans 12, 1 to 2. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, not just your right lobe or your right thumb, or the big toe of your right foot, but your whole bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see the parallel before the priests, they were really consecrated for God's work. We too must be like that. In fact, the Bible says we have to give up ourselves as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? The way we think, the way we behave, it must not be according to the customs of this world, but according to the will of Yahuwah, our God. How else uh, were the priests consecrated? 26 or 29, on top of these, he placed a thin cake of bread made without yeast. A cake of bread mixed with olive oil and a wafer spread with olive oil. All these were taken from the basket of bread made without yeast and was placed in Yahuwah's presence. He put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons and he lifted them up as a special offering to Yahuwah. Moses then took all the offerings back from them and burned them on the altar on top of the burnt offering. This was the ordination offering. It was pleasing. It was a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to Yahuwah. Then Moses took the breast and lifted it up as a special offering to Yahuwah. This was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as Yahuwah had commanded him. So there was a special offering in addition to the other offerings. And after this, what, was, what else was done? Something very, very interesting. Leviticus 8.30. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood was on the altar. And he sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. In this way, he made Aaron and his sons and their garments holy. Remember, all of this that we are witnessing is a part of the process of preparing the priesthood. You see how so much was involved in putting it together, right? So much consecration. You have the clothes, you got the washing, you got the anointing of oil. Now you have more. Now you're going to combine the anointing of oil and the blood. This is to prepare the priests who will serve God. And so, what happens? What does this allude to in the future? First John 5 6 to 8. And Yahushua Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with this test, with his testimony. So we have. Three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. You see, for us to be true followers of Yahusha, 
It's not enough that we're baptized by water. It's not enough that we are in the church that was purchased by the blood of Yahushua. We also have to live by what? The Spirit. All three must be in alignment. You see that? For us to be true priests of Yahusha, we must be baptized, we must be added into the church purchased by the blood of Yahusha, and we must receive the Spirit of our God. When we have all three, then we are fully confirmed as true members of the church of Yahusha. Now, after this, after the consecration was complete, what was going to take place next? Leviticus 8, 31, 32. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the remaining meat of the offerings at the tabernacle entrance and eat it there along with the bread that is in the basket of offerings for the ordination, just as I had commanded when I said Aaron and his sons will eat it. Any meat or bread that is left over must then be burned up. So after the syrup, after the... Um, consecration after the washing after the putting on of clothes after the atonement what happens now bible says it's time to time to eat so they get to eat the bread they get to eat the meat they eat the bread and eat the meat you see god wants us to be nourished after we have been consecrated god wants us to be strengthened and the the priests were strengthened physically by the actual eating, right? But before eating must be the consecration. So what now that they're eating, they're being nourished. But how can we also eat the meat and eat the bread during our time? I wonder how. Let's let's find out. The book of John 6, 56, 58. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Who's the one speaking here? Yahusha. Yahusha says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him I live because of the living father who sent me in the same way who anyone who feeds on me will live because of me I am the true bread that came down from heaven anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did even though they ate the manna but will live forever what advantage do we have over the priests of old the great advantage we have is that we get to live off of Yahushua, the Christ. What does Yahushua say? He said, I eat my flesh. What does it mean to eat his flesh? It means to have faith in him. What else? He says, I am the bread. We must eat of the bread. We eat his flesh. We eat his bread. If we do that, we will live for ever. What does it mean to eat on the flesh of Yahushua? and eat of his bread. It means we must find our nourishment and strength by faith in him. We must live our life by faith in Yahusha HaMashiach. This is how we're nourished. God knows by ourselves we're weak. God knows that, right? Yes, God created us in his image. There are limitations because of our sins. This is why when we go to Yahusha, our weaknesses become what? Strength. Isn't this what Apostle Paul said? When I am weak, then I am strength. Because of Yahusha, I can do all things. Because through Yahusha, 
he will live in us. And if he lives in us, not only shall we live forever, everything we face in our life here on earth, we will be able to accomplish. And so what is the final command to complete this celebration and ceremony? Let's read 33 to 35. You must not leave the tabernacle entrance for seven days. You see, the ordination wasn't just one day. It's going to last seven more days. So you must not leave the tabernacle entrance for seven days. For that is when the ordination ceremony will be completed. So after they were consecrated, after they eat, they had to wait. But the good news is, where do they wait? Everything we have done today was commanded by Yahuwah in order to purify you, making you right with him. This, is happen this happened on the ordination day, right? Now, stay at the entrance of the tabernacle day and night for seven days and do everything Yahuwah requires. If you fail to do this, you will die. But this is what Yahuwah has commanded. So what does God want us to do? After we have been consecrated through the blood of Yahusha, after our baptism and after receiving the spirit, now that we are consecrated, what, is God, what does God want us to do? We have to what? Starts with the letter W. Huh? We have to wait. We have to wait for our king to come back because he's going to come back. However, as we wait, we wait in Yahuwah's presence in the tabernacle. That's why we wait by the entrance of the tabernacle. Do not leave the presence of Yahuwah. Do not leave the presence of Yahusha. As we wait for our God, do not be distracted. Because there are those who are distracted and because of this, they fall out of the path. We have to remain in the path as we wait for Yahusha's return. And so as we wait for Yahusha's return, what should we enjoy as God's people? Let's read one more passage, Psalms 84, 1 to 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Yahuwah of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of Yahuwah with my whole being, body, and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. You know, as we wait for Yahuwah to come, the world's going to collapse and fall apart. There's going to be pandemics. There are going to be people who will show a lot of hatred. There's going to be violence everywhere, natural disasters, and so forth and so on. However, we must not be faced by that. Why? Because as we wait, the Bible says we can shout for joy for the living God because we are in his dwelling place. The dwelling place, referred to that as applying to us, is being with Yahusha HaMashiach. Never leave your fellowship with Yahusha HaMashiach because as we are in Yahusha, God is with us, Christ is with us, and in this fellowship, we have joy and peace that nothing will be able to destroy in our life. So always remain in fellowship with our king as his royal priests. Okay, that's our lesson for today. Let's now go to our mailbox. Uh, this came as a series of several questions. Uh, John, below are questions from a brother whose family is still with the institution and he wants an answer to the questions because he cannot accept the teachings of the INC about children, infants that will not be saved because they are not INC. He's asking if you could take it up on the next PHP. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's go to question number one. Question number one says, May Pag-asa po 
sa kaligtasan ng isang sanggol, I included the Tagalog to make sure that I got the translation right. May pag-asa po ba sa kaligtasan ng isang sanggol na inabot ng kamatayan na hindi naging kaanib sa iglesia ni Kristo sapagkat ayon daw kay David sa awit 55, ako'y masama buhat ng isila, makasalanan ng iluwat. Sabi sa talatang yan, mula ng isilang sanggol pa lang, mula ng isilang sanggol pa lang, makasalanan na. Malinaw daw na ang isang sanggol ay hindi maaaring sabihin na walang kasalanan. Okay. I gotta, have, I gotta get my daughter to help me out with a translation. Can you help me out? No. Gotta ask my wife to help me out with a translation. Can you help me out? Yeah. Okay. This is what I put. Can an infant who dies still have hope for salvation if they're not members of the INC? According to David in Psalm 51.5, infants are born sinners. I don't know where he got this information from. If the Psalms 51.5 passage was given to him by an INC minister, I don't know. Okay, I don't know if this is an official INC stand, but I'm going to answer the question. Okay, so based, so the question really is: an infant, Are infants born sinners? Are they born sinners? What do you think is the answer? Because he gives us a verse, Psalms 51 verse 5. Let's read Psalms 51 verse 5. This is what it says. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. First of all, it doesn't say that the infant born is a sinner. What does it say? It says that when an infant is born, it is born in sin. It is born in iniquity. And so there's nothing in the passage that says an infant has committed sin or is a sinner or has what some call original sin, right? And so when a baby, an infant is born, he is born into sin, but he is not himself a sinner. Well, if that is the case, why does the Bible say that an infant is born in sin? Well, let's read the book of Romans, chapter 5, and the verses are 12 to 14. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Let's pause it for a while. When did Adam sin? When? In Genesis, right? The very beginning. Genesis, Adam sinned. What happened after Adam sinned? He had to experience death, and he was removed from the Garden of Eden. But because of his sin, there was a consequence. All of mankind now gets to live not inside, but outside where? Garden of Eden. And so that's why it says that human beings now are born into sin because we are born into a world that is dominated by what? Sin. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam sinned, brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because, take note, there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to Come, according to Apostle Paul, this world we live in, is it sinful? Yes. Why? Because of the influence of 
Adam because he, he committed sin. We get to live outside the garden. And so the influence of sin has spread to all human beings. However, the Bible says from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, the sin that was committed was not even counted against them as sin. That's very strange. Why does it say that? Because when was the law given? During the days of Moses. And so what is the definition of sin? Breaking the laws of God. An infant who doesn't know and understand the laws of Moses, according to the explanation of the Apostle Paul, is not considered a sinner. Because to commit sin, you have to violate, first of all, you have to know the law of God, and you have to violate the law of God. Can an infant do that? No. And so it's not, he, he's not a sinner, but born into sin. And when God creates us, even through the womb, how does God create man or woman? Ecclesiastes 7.29, this only have I found. God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. When God creates us, he creates us perfect. Right? God doesn't create imperfect things. He creates us perfect. God made mankind upright. And what else did God have in mind when he created us, human beings? Genesis 1.27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And so when God, the infant that God created, that infant was created in his image. Perfect. Is that infant a sinner? No. Was he born into sin? Yes. Does he have a tendency to sin? Yes. But he technically is not a sinner. This is why. Does he have hope for salvation? Yeah. And I believe he's got, that's, that infant is going to be saved. And we'll talk about that later on. Okay. We're going to elaborate on that later on. Let's go to question number two. Um, kung ang sanggol ay walang nagagawang kasalanan, bakit nadamay sila sa parusa ng Diyos sa, ba, sa bahangguna sa panahon ni Noe? Genesis 6.13.1, Genesis 19.25. If infants are without sin, why did they perish when God judged the world with a flood? Genesis 6.13.21. And when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire? Genesis 19.25. Why were no infants saved? Right? During the flood. And they're in Sodom and Gomorrah, assuming that there were infants. And it's probably true, right? That there were infants in Sodom and Gomorrah, infants during the days of the flood. And the question is, why were no infants saved when the judgment was meant for the wicked? Is that a fair question? Fair question? Yeah? Yeah, that's a fair question. That makes logical sense. That's, that's a question we want to know the answer to. Why were no infants saved when judgment was meant for the wicked? Let's read the book of Isaiah, chapter 24, and the verses 5. The earth suffers for the sins of its people, for they have twisted God's instructions, violated his laws, and broken and broken his everlasting covenant. Why can the innocent, or why do those infants have to die? Because they were caught in the crossfire, so to speak. Because they were born into a wicked world, what does the world do? Well, the world is punished by God because the world has violated his laws. And when the punishment is inflicted upon the people of the world, even the children, the infants are affected. You see, that's the result of the consequence of sin. Because of the consequence of sin, the world we live in is not safe. 
because it's not safe. There are people who die at the wrong time, right? There are people who die and makes us scratch our heads and say to ourselves, what did this person do wrong, which caused him to die? Well, because he lives in a world that's imperfect. He lives in a world that is not safe. That's why. So what does the, how does Apostle Paul describe the world and creation because of sin? Romans 8, 21, 22, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the Bible says all creation is subject to death and decay. When did it start? When did it start? After Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. Death and decay dominated reality. Death and decay dominated the planet Earth. This is why what we see is creation groaning. Things of people and animals dying. All creation is growing because of the pains of and the sufferings of the result of death and sin. Okay? However, when an infant dies, there's something we have to understand. What is that? The book of Hebrews 9.27 this is what it says. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Let's consider an infant. All right? I'm carrying an infant right here. This baby boy, an infant, let's say that he survives the flood. Okay? And so he grows up. Is this, is this boy going to eventually die? Yes. He's going to die eventually. All of us are going to die eventually. Why is that? Because death has been appointed for all human beings because of the consequence of sin. The one sin led to this decree of God that all humans are going to now have to die. So that infant is going to die. But what is more important is not the death, but what comes after it. What does it say? The Bible says it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Right? And so when an infant dies, it's not a big deal to God. It's a big deal to us because, oh, no, we're never going to see this baby again. But what do we need to understand about life? Death is not a big thing to God. Right? It's nothing to God. It's a big thing to us, but it's nothing to God. So we need to see it from God's perspective. When an infant dies, an innocent child or baby dies because of the consequence of sin, will he be held accountable for that when he faces judgment? What do you think? What applies? What applies now when judgment or the second death is being considered? Let's read Deuteronomy 24, 16. Father shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. This is the law of God concerning the sinner. But this applies not to the first death. It applies to what? The second death. After you die. Because everyone's going to die. It is appointed for all people to die. However, this law concerning a person shall be put to death for his own sin. This applies to judgment. Why are we sure of this? John 5, 26, 29. The father has life in himself. And he has granted the same life-giving power to his son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son. 
and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. According to what we read, when judgment takes place, when we have to face Yahusha, who's been authorized to judge all, the Bible says those who do good will rise to have everlasting life. But those who continue in evil ways will rise to be judged. That's the judgment part. And so when it comes to the judgment part, guess what? The, the, the judge will consider what that person, not somebody else, has done with his life. And so let's imagine an infant. Yes, the infant dies in the flood. Yes, the infant dies in Sodom and Gomorrah. But will the infant going to perish on judgment day when he has to face judgment? What do you think? I think that infant's fortunate. And so when we look at the infant, we say to ourselves, Kawawa namatay sa Sodom and Gomorrah. Kawawa namatay sa flood, right? Oh, we feel bad for this infant because he lost his life in the flood. Oh, we feel bad for this infant because he lost his life in Sodom and Gomorrah. In actuality, is that a blessing? Yes, because when he will rise again, the Bible says he'll be risen to eternal life. That's a blessing, not a curse, but a great blessing. Imagine if the infant survived, right? And then he had to endure all of that and then face judgment. No, I would not want that for that child, right? And so how about those who do not die? That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must still, we must all stand before Christ to be judge we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body so when we have an infant right and we see that the infant lost his or her life we say oh i feel bad what a tragedy it is a tragedy from our perspective however this is what apostle paul says second corinthians 4 17 18 and this small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory much greater than the trouble. You see, the reason why we react like that whenever we bring up the example of an infant dying in the flood, you know why we react so adversely to that example? It's because we think that all there is to life is what we can see. Right? But what's the reality? Reality is what we can see right now is just a sliver, a tiny dot in the stream of eternity. Nothing compared to eternity. And so these people, there are people who are trying to discredit God's character because they're looking at a sliver when eternity matters so much more. What do you think? Who do you think is more fortunate? An infant who receives everlasting life or an infant who survives? And because he survived, he eventually condemns his own life. This is why we have to think long uh, from the, the perspective of eternity. Okay? Let's go to the next question. Paano? Paano ko maliligtas ang sanggol kung sila'y abutan ng kamatayan? Tama po ba sa ganito? Na ganito ang gawin ayon sa INC na nakasulat sa Biblia, sa Marcos 10, 13 and 14, na sa panahon ngayon ay paghahanog ng sanggol at pagbabasbas ng ministro at pagpapato ng kamay para ang isang sanggol maligtas. How can infants be saved if they die? Okay. Is the INC correct in teaching that based on Mark, uh, 10, 13, and 14, 16, that during our time, infants are saved after a minister 
dedicates them to God by placing his hands on them and then blessing them. Okay, it's based on Mark 10, 13 to 14. Let's read that first. Some people brought little children to Yahusha and to have him hold them. But the disciples told the people not to do that. When Yahusha saw this, he became irritated, told them, don't stop the children from coming to me. Children like these are part of the kingdom of God. Bible says that, and if you read verse 16, it mentions there that Yahushua placed his hands on the child to pray for them. Is it wrong to for a minister to pray for your child, dedicate him to God? Is that wrong? Is that wrong? No, it's perfectly fine. It's good to do that. However, does it mean that if an infant was not dedicated by the minister of the INC, that the infant will not be saved? What do you think? That's not what the that's not what Yahushua is teaching here. In fact, what does Yahushua teach here? He says, children like these are part of the kingdom of God. You know, when the minister prays for an infant child, do you know what really the purpose of that prayer is? That prayer is really, and that whole ceremony is really for the who? The parents. Because guess who gets to dedicate the child to, the, to God? The parents, the infant, he doesn't know what's going on. It's the parents. The parents, when they dedicate the child to the father, they're making a pledge, a promise. that They will raise this child to know who? Our father. That's the purpose. But if an infant is not offered or dedicated to God, if there's no minister that, uh, that uh, blesses them, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be saved. What's the proof? Yahushua said, children like these are part of kingdom of God. So if an infant dies today during our time, minister of the INC doesn't get a chance to bless them. Will that infant die? No. They will be saved according to Yahushua. Why will they be saved according to Yahushua? Let's go to Mark chapter 9. You read Mark chapter 10. Let's read that Mark chapter 9. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father who sent me. Why are we confident that an infant today who dies and this infant didn't get blessed by a minister, that this infant will still be saved? Why are we confident? Because Yahushua loves them. Notice what Yahushua did? He took the child in his arms. And what did he say? He said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this welcomes me. And so Yahushua is basically telling, if you welcome this child, you treat this child like you, if you, whatever you treat this child with, that's what you treat me with. He's like associating himself with the child. Not only that, is also connected to the Father. You welcome me, and not only me, but also my Father who sent me. What does that mean? That means children, infants, are loved by Yahusha. And so on Judgment Day, this infant is presented to Yahusha. And he was not uh, prayed for by the minister or blessed. Will Yahusha say to this child, oh, because you were not blessed by the INC minister from Pampanga, I cannot save you. Is that what Yahushua is going to say? 
No, you will take the child in his arms and he's going to say, you belong. You have a part in my kingdom. Okay. All right, let's go to number five. Is it true? Is it true that even infants who are not guilty of sin are not exempt from the requirements of salvation? Okay, let's really put this behind us. Okay, because there are people who believe infants are not going to be saved. Infants are going, going to perish in hell. Now think about that. Do you think there's justice there? An infant is going to go to hell. You think God will do something like that? I mean, just from intuition, just from our heart, we say no, right? But we have to look at the Bible. And so an infant who is on a, who dies, not a member of any church, not a member of anything, never prayed before, will this infant receive salvation? Well, I want to ask the following question. Um, in Romans 5, 12 out of 14, we read this earlier. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam sinned, brought death, right? That one sin of Adam... It brought about the consequence of death. What does that mean? Death was appointed for all human beings because of the one sin, sin of Adam, right? Even though from the time of Adam all the way to Moses, there were infants who died. They were not, it was not counted a sin against them. These infants who died, these, you know, they died because it was a consequence of sin, because of the one sin. However, if we continue reading, this is what Apostle Paul says in 18 and 19. Yes. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. And so the, the sacrifice, the righteous, the one righteous act of this righteous person referred to here, the Christ, because of his sacrifice, it covers the needs of the infant who dies so that he is part now of the kingdom of God. Now, is there biblical proof that the infant is going to be saved? Well, let's read the book of 2 Samuel 12, 13, and 14. And David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahuwah. Nathan replied, yes, but Yahuwah has forgiven you and won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for Yahuwah by doing this, your child will die. Here's a case example. We have David who committed a sin. It's called adultery against uh, with Bathsheba, right? They have a baby. Because it's a sin against Yahuwah, our God, Nathan the prophet approaches David and he says to him, this is the message from Yahuwah. You're gonna, your sins are forgiven. You committed sin. However, because of your sin, your child will die. Wait a minute. Why is the child being punished? The child's not being punished. As a matter of fact, the child has a good. Why? We'll find out later on. Let's go read. Uh, so the child's going to die. And so when David finds out about this, 2 Samuel 12, 15 and 17, after Nathan returned to his home, Yahuwah sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him, get up, eat with them, but he, re he refused. And so after he, David finds out God's decision that the child that he had with Bathsheba is going to die, what does David do? Well, he will do what a normal parent do, does, right? What did he do? He begged God to spare the child. 
He didn't want to lose his child. He loved that child. That's understandable. And so he went without food the whole day, the whole night, to the point that the elders got worried about him. Please eat, Master. <laughs> Please eat. You have to eat and get your strength back. But he kept refusing. He refused it. And on the seventh day, what happened? Second Samuel. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill. They said, what drastic thing will he do when, he, when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. So David, because of his suffering, because he knew he was going to lose a child, kept pleading and pleading to God. And David's advisors, who was concerned about his health, right? They noticed when he finds out the news, that his child already died, he might not make it well. And so they were hesitant to tell them, to tell David about the death of his son, right? But David noticed them whispering, and so he approached them and said, is the child dead? The answer was, yes, he is dead. Do you want to know what David's reply was? What did David do? Let's read 2 Samuel 12, 20. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped Yahuwah. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. It was like mourning is over, right? Your child just died. What do you do? You wash yourself, you go to the temple, you worship Yahuwah, and then you eat. Like nothing happened. And so because this happened, what happened to the, the advisors? Let's read 21. His advisors were amazed. It's like Jekyll and Hyde, they're switching personality. We don't understand you, they told him. So it was a drastic change. It was obvious on the countenance of his face. Before he was in deep mourning, you can, you can tell how when someone is dejected, right? You can tell on their face when, really, when they really hit rock bottom. And so when they saw David after the death of his child, we don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. And so they were confused. They were amazed. And so what did David say? Let's read verse 22, 23. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive. For I said, perhaps Yahuwah will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? Of course, he's going to miss that part. He's going to miss not having the child with him, right? Can I bring him back again? And then he goes, I will go to him one day. But he cannot return to me. There are those who think, well, David is saying that he's going to join his son to the grave. I don't think that was, the, I don't think that was what's being referred to by David. Because otherwise, it would have shown his face. He was referring to the day because Yahuwah told him the day when he will be with him in paradise. This is why for me, that child, he was not the one punished. Who was the one punished? David. The child is not being punished. The child will again live in the kingdom of 
Imagine, what if that child did, survived? I wonder what would have happened to him. Because during this time of David's life, it was a time of turmoil. <laughs> you never know what could happen, right? But this child was indeed blessed. All the children whose lives were lost, I believe, I believe, they will be saved in the kingdom of heaven. They're fortunate because they were given life. And even though it was cut short, because of that, we can assure, we can be given assurance that they're going to be saved on judgment. Of course, that's just what I believe. I'm not the judge. I'm not the creator. We'll find out when we are there in God's kingdom. Okay, let's go to question number six. May mga tao po ba nanaligtas kahit hindi naging kaanib sa Iglesia ni Cristo? Were there people who were saved even though they never became members of the INC? Right? Here's my question. Are there members of the Iglesia ni Cristo who are already saved? Past and present. Were there are there members of the... Give me a name of a member of the Church of Christ who's already saved. Give me one name. Can you? Give me one name of a member of the Iglesia ni Cristo who's already saved. Is there anyone? We don't know. Why? Why don't we know? Judgment day hasn't come yet, right? On judgment day, we're going to be judged. We're going to face the judgment scene of Yahushua Mashiach. Then we'll find out, right? But there are three people I know for a fact who are saved. Three who are already saved. Yeah. And guess what? None of them are members of the INC. <laughs> you know who they are? You know who they are. Tell me who they are. Who is the first one? Enoch. Right? Is he saved? Yes. God took him. Who else? Elijah. Is he saved? Yes. God took him. Who else? Criminal. <laughs> there was a criminal who was with Yahusha when he was on the cross. One of the criminals hanging there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The other one, however, rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God? You received the same sentence he did. Ours, however, is only right, because we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But he has done no wrong. He said to Yahushua, Remember me, Yahushua, when you come as king. Yahushua said to him, I promise you that today you'll be in paradise with me. So who also is assured of salvation? Who is also saved? This criminal who was with Yahusha when they were on the cross. So we have Enoch, Elijah, and this criminal are going to be saved. Are they members of the INC? No, they're not. Right? That's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go now to uh, last question. How does one become a part of the body of Christ? Okay. Let's go ahead and read the book of 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are Filipinos, some are Chinese, so on and so forth. Some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we shall share the same spirit. How does one become a part of the body of Christ? How? By receiving baptism. And in the process of baptism, what's the formula? 
Bible says I to baptize it in to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because when one is baptized, he is to belong to who? Yahusha the Christ. That's what it means to be in the body. You belong to Christ now. You're a follower of Christ now. But is it enough simply to be baptized? Because there are those who are baptized because, oh, my girlfriend told me I had to be baptized. There are those who are baptized, oh, because my parents told me I had to be baptized. Am I right? There are those who were baptized, but they didn't have faith. They were only baptized because they were made or forced to be baptized. Do you think they're really added to the body of Christ? I don't think so. Right? We cannot fool and make a fool out of God. God knows our intent. This is why we're going to be judged based on our deeds, based on our motivations. And so besides receiving baptism, what also is needed to make sure that will let us know for sure we belong to Yahusha. Let's read one more passage. Romans 8, 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And so it's not enough to be baptized. One also must receive the Spirit. Remember the three testimonies? Those who testified the three are one. What were they? spirit the blood and the water you have to be baptized right you have to be long to Yahusha who is covered to come to be covered by his blood but you also need to receive and live by what the spirit without the spirit brethren our membership means nothing nothing without the spirit of God it is the spirit that makes all of it work this is why we need to receive it. We need to live by the Spirit of God. Because if we don't have the Spirit of God, it means only one thing. We don't believe or we don't belong to Yahushua HaMashiach. We're not in His body. Even if we're baptized numerous times, if we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to Yahushua. And we are not in the body. Because there's so many people who just look at the ritual, right? But they remove the important part of faith. They remove the important part of receiving the spirit of the Father. Those are important things that we need to understand about our membership inside the church of Yahusha. Okay? That is our Bible study for today. Let us all stand and we shall pray to our Father. Loving Abba, yes. Yahuwah, our God, thank you so much for the clarity of your words. Yes, okay. Thank you for blessing us with hope. Yes. A living hope because of the power of your spirit. Amen. We receive the true baptism yes. after we believe in the gospel message. Yes. And we are covered by the blood of your son. Yes. We have been brought near to you as his priests. Yes. Priests in these last days. And because of your spirit, yes. we have the ability to know your truth. Yes. That we can establish a deeper relationship with you Amen. father thank you so much for all that you have done yes may you please continue to send forth your spirit in our life yes to guide us in all that we do yes that we can remain faithful to you always Amen. lord yahusha the christ thank you yes. so much because you were a loving lord and savior yes. you always think about us yes. all of our needs 
thank you for embracing your servants. Yes. You call us your brothers and sisters. Yes. Thank you for this privilege. We are your servants. We know yes, and understand. You have declared the name of our Father to us. We know your true name as well yes. because you want to have the close fellowship with us. Yes. And so we are truly fortunate because of this. We cherish this opportunity to be with you always. Amen. May your light be in us. Yes. We can share that light with other people. May you strengthen our faith every day yes. that we can endure until the very end. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. You have blessed your people all over the world. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.